Hello and welcome to this week's Hong Kong Heritage, where we celebrate 40 years of the South China Diving Club, established as an overseas branch of the British Subaqua Club in 1979. The club puts a big emphasis on training with dives across Hong Kong and at other Asian dive spots. You can find out more about the South China Diving Club after the program at the website www.scdc.org.hk. Among their activities, the club members check the reefs and count up the marine life for conservation projects here. They track shipwrecks dating back to the early 1800s and love to just marvel at the wonder of nature underwater, even if the visibility in Hong Kong waters can be less than elsewhere. I met up with two veteran divers of the club, W. H. Tam, who joined the club in 1983 and is a diving instructor and a retired civil servant, and George Lee. Also a diving instructor and retired corporate executive, who joined the club in 1991, and the South China Diving Club chairman Chris Dillon. George Lee began by telling me about his next exotic dive location. I'm going to Ecuador. Oh wow!、Okay. Galapagos in July with my daughter and my son, and I just came back from Raja Ampat、uh, after Chinese New Year. And that's where? In Indonesia, it's a national. Marine Park. Can you introduce the club and also how you're marking it this year? How you're marking the celebration? Okay. Well, my, my name is Chris Dillon. I'm、uh, the chairman of the club. We were founded in 1979, May 1979. So this is our 40th anniversary, and we've got a number of activities planned. We're having a cocktail reception at the FCC on the Friday night, and on the Sunday, the 26th, we're getting 40 divers in the water for 40 minutes.、Mm-hmm. And、where's that、uh, going to be?、Uh, that'll be up towards Sai Kung, which is is some of the better diving in Hong Kong is up that way because you tend to have access to blue water,、uh, open ocean, so the the water quality tends to be a little bit cleaner. Now, in 1979, how did you start off? Now, I'm going to defer to some of our more knowledgeable <laughs> senior members here. Well, the South China Diving Club originated from a club within the British service in Hong Kong, the Sai Wan Diving Club. So British Armed Services, or、oh, yes. okay. Yeah, yeah. But at that time, I think well, we were formally established in the year 1979. Before that, so it's actually clubbing the service. But at that time, usually it's people more related to the services or to the government. So a lot of、uh, civil servants were also members of the club, and also、uh, expatriates coming from the UK. Very few Chinese. I think when I joined, there were only about three. And what made you join? I mean, where, tell me about <coughs> your passion for diving, where, and, and also where your first dive was. Well, actually, I had the incident myself, out of curiosity of diving. I had a chance of going with friends who are divers, and we catch fish and scallops in Clearwater Bay. And after they finished, we were just preparing our catch, and I just took the chance to, to use the set, put it on, and walk into the beach. So you can imagine that then. <laughs> I nearly got, got drowned after that. So, <laughs> <laughs> so that. So what with the oxygen tank and everything? It is basically an air tank. Right. Yeah, yeah. And、um, no training. No training at all. No, <laughs> the the actually my friends find okay, it's actually easy. So just help me to put on the whole gear. The initial experience was really fascinating because you get into the water and then the water is above you and、uh, yes, and then start all this sound, the bubbling, and、uh, you look around and it seems quite okay. Only when I realised I, I was in trouble, when I thought about going back, because I have lost my orientation. <laughs> I have no idea of the direction. 
And so I, I start to feel a little bit scared and, and getting quickly into panic. The only way that I can try to get attention was to go up. So I shoot up to the surface, but my body was actually carrying quite a few pounds of weight. So I can't really stay on the surface for long. <laughs> and you still wanted to dive after that? Well, I think that, that means that I need the proper training. Mm. And then... In, These people are still your friends? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, I was going with, with my brother as well. <laughs> so I can't get rid of him. <laughs> but that, that really speaks to a, to a bigger <clears throat> point, which is the sport of scuba diving <clears throat> is really relatively new. If you go back, yeah. you know, it's really only after yeah. the Second World War that you got people like Jacques Cousteau. And if you read his memoirs, some of the experiments that they were doing underwater, like, you know, detonating explosives near divers just to sort of see what would happen. Yeah. It's a very, very new sport. And one of the things that makes the South China Diving Club and makes BSAC different is that we are – we're a club. We're not a business like a lot of the other organizations in the scuba space. Yeah. And because we're a club, we're really, really focused on training. It's one of the things <laughs> that, that differentiates Safety. us. Safety. And, and, and absolutely. Yeah. So one of the things is, you know, if you're learning a skill, there's no incentive or pressure to get you through that skill like there might be if you were maybe you know diving on a, in a resort somewhere and you're, mm. you're dealing with somebody who's got a whole bunch of tourists <clears throat> and they've got to push you through with with us the ethos is as george was saying is very much about safety mm. and we'll just work you through the skill set until you absolutely mm. got muscle memory and you're comfortable yeah. with it and then you move on to the next one and it makes for comfortable competent skilled divers and that's that's what we like yeah Discipline as well. Yeah. Actually, I was, it was not easy to get into the club uh, at that time because they need you to be able to demonstrate your skills in the water. They have swimming te tests. Swimming test A, which is actually quite demanding. You swim, you can actually permit to use any style, swim for 200 meters. Usually it's done in, in, in the pool. So a standard pool is about, you know, about 50 meters, so you basically do four lengths. And then another length would you just lie and swim for another 50 meters. But I mean, this would be done consecutively. You can't take any rest in between. Mm. And then another 25 meters with five pounds weight on your, on your waist. And that's, it's a short. This is good fit, fitness training as well, isn't yeah, it? Because, well, you have to keep moving. <laughs> no, because you have to keep moving, otherwise the weight will drag mm. you down. I still remember doing this. Yeah, and then that's just, Actually, after that, you the have worst. to tread yes, water. George Lee is now putting his hands out. Exactly. Yeah, and, well, because your elbow should be up, you know, above, above water. your head. Okay. Can, so it's, it's difficult to keep yourself actually. Can, it, can you do a teapot as well? <laughs> <laughs> and then you have to dive down for uh, six times to the, to the bottom of the pool without any training. You haven't done anything before. Yeah. As you just struggle down to, they usually flow a, a mask into mm. the, the pool. So you try to go down, but you see that the, the mass is actually transparent, except the just the, the, the side of it may be in color. So it's difficult to see actually when, when, when you want to see and go down there and because of the visual distortion, mm. you actually the, the, the object is farther away than yes. you, you realize. Yes. So by the time you try to get over it, it's actually not there. <laughs> I think there's uh, something, I mean, I've only done it a few times, yeah. but just that sense 
well, sense of weightlessness, sense mm. of just being at one with nature. I mean, just this gentle bubble. And other than that, it's just mm. a, a slight slosh of water. That's all you can hear. It's, it's one of the most peaceful experiences. Yeah. There's no email. <laughs> there's nobody talking no, to you no. or nagging you. And you get into this. The, only, the, the closest thing that I would use to describe it to a non-diver is if you've ever had a really, really good massage <laughs> and, and you're just in that space where you're not quite asleep but not quite awake, you're just gently sort of floating, that's, that's diving. You're just, it's zen and you're just totally chill. For me, one of the experiences, I mean, but this is not a Hong Kong experience, was in Indonesia having a giant turtle that right. went just gently floating yeah. over my head. <laughs> and for me, it's just one of the most magic moments of my life, I'd say, yes. But uh, I'm sure you've had many like that. Going back 40 years, the equipment, how was yeah. that? I mean, was it um, fairly rudimentary or were we all already quite developed by 79? I think over the years, as Chris put it, the sport mm. is relatively young, but we, we have been developing it. They have been getting a lot better in the sense that it's less demanding physically. So mm. BSEC has changed the rules now, so it's a lot easier to join and become a diver because the swimming test and the physical fitness test is now kind of relatively easy. So And, and the gears are a lot lighter in weight. So in that sense, less physically fit person can actually take part in the sport. Well, I think the equipment's amazing. I mean, when I, I've, I've interviewed people who were post-war divers before, and I think mm. they used to have to put woolly jumpers under the dry suits. And... Oh, we still do. <laughs> oh, really? All right, okay. And, but, I mean, to George's point, also, you're seeing now, there is one gentleman in the UK who did his last dive at, like, 95 or mm. 97, mm. and they're also using diving as rehabilitation for physically handicapped people, like these blind divers and things like oh, that. Oh, fantastic. Uh, and, and also like amputees and things yeah. like that. So and wheelchair bound people are diving. So it's a very it's a very inclusive sport that way. Now in Hong Kong, the waters. You know, I hear varying reports that it's a good place to find parts of cars and shop trolleys. <laughs> but it's also, in fairness, uh, I understand that you also have a archaeological interest with diving underwater here? We have listed the various shipwrecks and tried to track where those uh, wrecks are, but it depends on the condition. Unfortunately, the Hong Kong water is... Most times, uh, the visibility is not good. Is that due to silt? Or? On the west side, we have the Pearl River washing everything down onto the west side. So anything from Pearl Toy, Stanley moving to the west is all very murky mm. because of the silt. On the east side, tends to be much better. But with a lot of development work, and when we were building the airports, they were dredging the sand mm. on the east side. So it actually is quite bad. A lot of, like washing up a fish tank, the, when you start do, disturbing the bottom where all the dirt are settled, when you start stirring it up, it comes up and then it kind of kills a lot of marine life as well because yeah. apart from losing visibility, they, they settle on the top of the coral, which covers it quite, quite a lot and then it will die away. Mm. Now we still have a lot of development work, like reclamation, things like this. It, it actually doesn't do any good to the marine environment like that. But now I think on the positive side, the government actually in the past years have done something trying to improve the water condition in Hong Kong. 
we have set up marine parks and also a marine reserve. Well, we have several marine parks around Hong Kong. They deliberately set up artificial reefs and try to attract the, the fish coming where you get habitat for, for, and shelters for the fish, places where you know, the marine life can grow. It turns the environment back into a good condition, I would say. They've been trolling, which is good. They also set up the Chemical Waste Treatment Center, Mm. um, and that was one of the first projects I worked on when I arrived here in the early 1990s. Mm. And when they built that, the statistic that they used to promote the project was that they were putting Mm. enough copper into the harbor every day to build two double-decker buses. <laughs> and that was from the days when, when Hong Kong was an electronics manufacturing center and it was from, from etching printed circuit boards. Yeah. So that made a difference. I think it's important to note that there is progress mm. being made, but at the same time, there's, there's still mm. lots a of lot room, of, room for, for improvement. But let's yeah. go back to these shipwrecks. I mean, I know that you've helped. Is it uh, the Hong Kong Maritime Museum? And there's a, a marine archaeologist who I'd also like to interview. He's, he's based in Guam. Yes. So if you could tell me about that? Well, there is one wreck in particular that uh, I was involved in exploring from the 1800s on the southern part of, of Hong Kong Island. Absolutely fascinating. And to go on a dive with like a knowledgeable person who can say, okay, well, if you look at the chain, the way that the chain is manufactured tells you how old the the boat is because there's Mm. certain chain technologies if you put a a link in the middle of the chain that stopped it from knotting and that was something that was introduced in the the mid 1800s the thing about hong kong waters is that this has been hong kong has been a center for commerce and shipping Mm. since the 18 you know the early 1800s so the place is lousy with wrecks there's (laughs) if you if you go down you dive anywhere you're going to find not necessarily wrecks because as, as george was indicating there is silt and things do get covered over but just about anywhere where you where you dive you're going to find pieces of pots and pans and some stuff will be from last week uh, some stuff will be 100 years old it'll be that blue chinese pottery in that so there's all kinds of interesting stuff uh, to be found there however having said that you would not confuse diving here with diving in the philippines or indonesia this is a fantastic place for training, and as, as I was saying, the South China Diving Club was really big on training. So you might do underwater navigation, where the visibility at sometimes is half a meter, which is is not a lot of visibility. But you go to the Philippines, you go to Thailand, or you go to you know uh, someplace like Ecuador, you can get thirty meter visibility. Extraordinary. Yeah. So you get down into the water. If you've been diving here, it's like you can dive anywhere. Yeah. All right. So well, Chris, well, actually, back in the old days, mm-hmm. we are quite close to that. I mean, back in the eighties. Um, what, well, bigger I, visibility? Or? Well, the, well, the best I have ever, ever come across was in uh, a Peng Chao, you know, okay. diving off the uh, steps. Uh, the all this, the the actually, I can see. I think it's probably over thirty meters. Oh, wow. I can see the whole silhouette of the really? of the island, and clearly, I mean, from a distance. Uh, never. I mean, nowadays we can realize. I mean, the shape and and the, and the structure. Don't think Zhou is a marine park, you know. Oh yeah, but I mean, no. Before that, before I mean, <laughs> okay. back, before it's actually being established. So, with the South China Diving Club, mm-hmm. what sort of marine life have you seen over the years? Sort of that's really been wow, you know. Uh, in Hong Kong, I saw with my daughter uh, Jennifer at the time, and she was scared because it's such a big school of jacks circling and i i just couldn't believe i was in hong kong a big school of jacks what are jacks fish uh, can go quite big they are like the trevallis 
Very similar in shape. Well, I can see in Maldives, in Palau, in Raja Ampat, that you run into big schools of it. We are talking about probably over 100. Because, I mean, has the fishing moratorium here helped with getting more life back? Well, in fact, as I mentioned earlier about the marine parks, say, for example, the one in Jiaotong, all this actually is boats being sunk. And inside the hole, you can see loads of So they've fishing. actually sunk some boats? Yes. yes. It's, I think, well, under those conditions, we, we can all, all still find those fish. Yeah. Of course, the main reason, I think, diving in Hong Kong is visibility. Mm. Uh, the water is not that clear, but the lives, I, I guess, are, are around only because it's difficult to see them. In fact, the well, the one similar to what George mentioned, I come across once in not exactly in Hong Kong, but not too far away, about some 17 miles from Hong Kong east, a place called Pacto Branco, is somewhere between Hong Kong and China. I did come across also schools of tuners which basically swim in front of you. Once it took about three minutes for them to clear. Wow. <laughs> so this kind of condition you can find, or may, may not be in Hong Kong, but also yes. typically find pretty close. So we're really spoiled in Hong Kong. What mm. we lose in local visibility, we make up for in, in mm. f- fantastic geography. So we're smack dab in the middle of something called the Coral Triangle. Mm. And that starts, the top of that is the bottom of Japan, Okinawa, mm. Taiwan. And that extends all the way down to places like Raja Ampat that George was talking about in Indonesia, mm-hmm. and then over to the Philippines, and basically down to the top of Australia. So if you can imagine an equilateral triangle shaped like that. And what George was describing a minute ago about schools of jacks, I mean, you're talking about fish that are half a meter long, and you get into the water and you will be surrounded. I mean, you're just totally surrounded by fish, and they can be half a meter or a meter long. I've been in clouds, schools of fish of tens of thousands of fish that are an inch long. And that's also, you, you snap your finger like that, boom, they all disappear. It is magic. Yeah. Breathtaking and scary if you see it the first time. I actually went into the center, like I normally do, of the circle, and then you just look around and you like, wow, amazing. It, it, it makes, it restored my sense of awe hmm. with the universe, just because it is just so spectacular. And so when you, you know, what George is talking about, about schools of jacks, we are at a bit of a disadvantage in, in Hong Kong in terms of local visibility and local marine life. But we're so close to places like the Philippines mm-hmm. and, and Thailand and Indonesia. And when you do get into the water there, there's places like Richelieu Rock in Thailand where everything, there's just, there's a profusion of everything from fish the size of your fingernail to tuna two-meter-long tuna. It is literally breathtaking. Just to give you the sights, it was in Gongzhou, which is actually east of Tatmun. And then I think there's another side apart from Dongpingzhou is what we call Bricker's Reef, yep. which is also on a good day. is as good as in the Philippines. And that's just a couple of rocks sticking up in the middle of the ocean. You I couldn't mean, see yeah, it. Yeah, you, unless you knew what you were looking for, you'd never see it. So I can say if you know the place, you, you can still find a lot of good dive sites in Hong Kong. Yes, yeah. and I'm purposely not asking you where the, <laughs> the ships are, because there's a, there's a bit of a problem, isn't there, that, that people do illegal fishing? Yes, and, and of course, if you've got reefs and, and you've got um, structures like that, that attracts everything from mm. the smallest fish to the medium-sized fish to... so. 
Um, and, and we are very protective. Mm, no, I can understand that. I'm talking with Tam George Lee, both veteran divers and veteran members of the South China Diving Club. And we're also here with the club's president, Chris Dillon. So congratulations on your 40 years. So you. as you say, you're going to have 40 divers going down to, to mark those 40 years, mm. going down for 40 minutes. Yeah, was yeah. that? <laughs> sure. oh, 40s. Yeah. Yes, exactly. We were trying to think about 40 meters as well, but unfortunately Whoa. in Hong Kong, you yeah. can't, you can't <laughs> find that. Now, with your members, I know that you're multicultural. Are you multi-age as well? I mean, have you got plenty of youngsters I'm, coming I'm through? I'm very young. <laughs> we have divers ranging in age from 2 to 29. We've got a couple of those, and we've got some who are between 60 and 69. <laughs> so it's, it's a really nice um, yeah. spectrum of ages. And, and I, I mentioned a little bit earlier about the sort of the club ethos at the South China Diving Club about training. So one of the great things about our club, and I have a little bit of boostering here, but <laughs> if you ask our, any of our senior members, people like George and Tam, if you ask them for advice about clearing your ears, for example, mm -hmm. or about what kind of equipment that, that you should buy or mm -hmm. where you should go on vacation, there is this enormous storehouse of knowledge. And buy him a drink and you'll be entertained for hours. I mean, there's just, and people are, are, one of the great things about our club is it's very, very welcoming and there's this wealth of knowledge that people are only too happy to share, whether it be about diving or about technical issues. It, it's, a, it's a very warm and welcoming. A bottle club. of whiskey will be better. <laughs> Single malt. <laughs> And how often do you go out? I mean, if you wanted to say if I wanted to go out on a weekend to do a dive. Yeah. So we did last year, we did 28 diving days. So that's that's every another. Yeah, basically. And, and we do that year round. Uh, we uh, will be going a, a small group of us will be going to Anilao in the Philippines at the beginning of June. Um, but we, we take overseas trips. We go to places like um, a, a bunch of people actually just came back yesterday. For, well, from uh, Timor, uh, East Timor. Which, which has got fantastic diving, but also, as George is saying, Tubitaha. Uh, so we, we dive very frequently. I was on a, a, a boat on Saturday diving here uh, off of uh, Rocky Harbor. Um, so and What about the temperatures here? I mean, they, they must vary quite a lot in the winter and summer. Mm. Yeah, in the wintertime, it's, it's dry suit diving. Um, 17, 18, 19 degrees. Well, the temperature in winter, you can get about 18. Um, well, old days we we, we we don't use we didn't use twice. We actually we still use wetsuit. Yeah, in it's the still good manageable, manageable. In the good old days, I just <laughs> have a three mil dye suit yeah, yeah. all year round. But now, yeah. no, I started moving into semi dry and then dry suit. Is as a lot is a lot more comfortable. Mm -hmm. We also benefit a lot from military technology, like the, the American Navy using things like mixed gas, where you're not just breathing pure air. Um, you're, you're breathing like nitrox, which is enriched air, uh, and, and the technology that all of the research and the training that's gone on, gone into Just all of that. Just to clarify the common misunderstanding uh, for non-divers, we don't use oxygen tank because oxygen is poisonous. We actually use compressed air, mostly. Yeah, at, at depth, pure oxygen will kill you, <laughs> which can ruin your whole day. <laughs> so I'd heard about training and shipwrecks, issues of visibility and the wonder of some of the marine life in this region. But I then spoke later with club chairman Chris Dillon about conservation projects the divers carry out. 
Chris, when we were chatting the other day, of course, we were talking about, you know, a lot of the training that the South China Diving Club does, but you also help other organisations with their sort of maritime research. We absolutely do. One of the most interesting things that, that we do is work with the Agriculture, Fisheries and Conservation Department on an activity called the Reef Check. And we've done that every year since 2013. AFCD has assigned us a reef in Naoshi Wuhan in the New Territories. And we go back every year and measure life on it. So, And what that means is we lay down a long transect line and then we come out and we measure things like the number of invertebrates, the number of fish, and the health of the coral. And we fill all of that data into um, a standardized form and then give it to AFCD so that they can actually track the health of Hong Kong's aquatic environment. So you've got this line along the reef and then do you have a diver and, and his or her buddy along certain sections of this reef? I mean, how do you, exactly, how do you count fish? Exactly right. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah that, and that's a, a very practical question that you ask. Um, so the way it works is we have three dives and the, the line is 100 metres long. And we go through with three buddy pairs and you count the fish, but you don't count them along the whole 100 metres. You sort of go a certain length and then you stop and a certain length and then you stop. And it is, in some respects, sort of imprecise, but that imprecision is sort of built into the process. And then the next thing, it's sort of like you're, you're, you're counting things like sea urchins, for example, and, and they don't move very much, fortunately. They're much easier <laughs> to count. And, and, and all sea cucumbers and things like that. And really, what this is is really important or helpful for for the government is establishing sort of an environmental baseline. You know, if you're there one year and everything is healthy and there's lots of life and you go back the next year and, and it isn't, and say you go from, you know, seeing dozens of fish to only seeing one or two, that's useful data, even if it's not quite as precise as you might like it to be. Yeah, very useful. So how long do you stay underwater? So the whole thing, I've done this a couple of times, three times I think now. The whole thing takes with all of the divers and like one one behind the other or one team behind the other, it takes probably about three and a half hours because you have to, part of this is all done according to a, a, a very precise scientific protocol. So you have to leave some time between the, the sets of divers going down so that the fish, for example, aren't disturbed. And also so that, you know, you don't don't stir up any silt or anything like that so you can actually count things. But it makes for a lovely morning out and in a way it's enlightened self-interest on our part as divers because the healthier the environment is, the more we enjoy diving and we love to give something back. It's uh, sort of the least we can do. Yeah, that's very useful work. What else do you do? We do things like we cooperate with the WWF for programs like the uh, ECFC Without Litter program, uh, and that's educating uh, the public about the, the importance of marine litter. And we also do things like the uh, A Plastic Ocean program, where we cooperated with the WWF on that, and also things like beach cleanup programs, where we will go and, and gather literally hundreds of kilos of garbage off of the, off of the beach. And in some respects, these are relatively minor things, but it gets us involved and it it's, gives us uh, something to talk about and it helps to raise awareness among the community of the importance of A, not putting litter in the, in the ocean to begin with, but also that everybody 
anybody can make a difference by picking stuff up. And one of the other things that we do that really ties into all of this is we invite guest speakers to come to the club. And Hong Kong has got some incredibly smart, passionate, talented people like Dr. Yvonne Sandovi, who is a specialist with the, the Humphead RAS. She's just one example of the kind of people who will come to the club and spend an hour talking about their research and educating us and, and helping us understand the marine environment better and, and how we can make a difference. We also got a guy named Stan Shea recently from the Bloom Foundation. He came and spoke to us for an hour. And and the amount of research that's being done and the the knowledge and the, and the expertise that these people bring to the party is really inspirational. Chris Dillon there, the chairman of the South China Diving Club, which is 40 years old this month. My thanks also to veteran divers and diving instructors W.H. Tam and George Lee. My thanks also to my Radio 3 colleague Noreen Mir for doing the production for this studio interview. If you're thinking about diving in Hong Kong or doing a bit more training or joining some of the trips throughout Asia, then you can find out more on the website of the South China Diving Club at www.scdc.org.hk. That's www scdc.org.hk Thanks for listening and join me next week on Hong Kong Heritage.